Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today we continue our series called Codes for a Healthy Earth, Cultivating Peace with All of Life. Beliefs and principles of indigenous echo and Earth-based spirituality have long served to wake humanity to the responsibilities of stewarding a healthy Earth. By honoring the connection between all beings and assisting all creatures to live in balance and harmony, we have the capacity to create whole systems health. What is the deeper wisdom in indigenous traditions that offer such a healing balm for our time? And how do the Codes for a Healthy Earth reflect that wisdom? We are going to explore these questions and so much more. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Robin Youngblood is a minister, teacher, author, artist, and shamanic practitioner and healer. She's been a student of her indigenous heritage for many years and has learned the sacred teachings of indigenous elders from her own Native American tribes, along with Siberian, Polynesian, and Aboriginal elders. Robin has been a member of the Seven Generations World Wisdom Council, which organized multicultural wisdom gatherings in several countries. She's also a founding member of Grandmother Circle Grandmother's Circle the Earth. I was going to say Grandmother's Circle of Earth, but what a lovely title. She's a founding member of the Grandmother's Circle the Earth and helps establish Grandmother Circles and councils wherever she travels. And boy, does she travel. You can catch her almost on any continent and any country in any given year. So I'm happy we've caught her right here for you today. Welcome, Robin. Thanks, Julie. That was quite an introduction, especially the last part. You're right. I say to people that I'm from every year. <laughs> every year. I love it. Our our dear friend, Barbara Marks Hubbard, used to say that phrase, and, and I really appreciate it. And you are the embodiment of every year. That is for sure, Robin. Thanks for joining us today and, and agreeing to have this conversation. I'm really looking forward to digging in. But I do have my first traditional question that I have... Boy, asked on this show for going on seven years now. It's kind of exciting, all the different kinds of answers we get here. So I'm going to start with our traditional first question, Robin. And can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? We have a saying in my culture, all my relations, all my relatives, mm-hmm. and it's said in different languages a little differently, but it has the same meaning through most of our Indian tribes. And um, basically what that means is that we're not either above or below any of the rest of creation, but we are related to every single rock, every single tree, every single creature. 
And because we're related, we are responsible. We are the only species that carries the kind of intelligence that we do. I'm, it is not better than instinctual intelligence, which the animals and so forth have, uh, but it is different. And because it's different, we are responsible to understand the needs of all our relatives and to know that connectedness in our heart space to the point where we want to be responsible. We want to assist in every way that we can. It's a much different paradigm than the modern paradigm of whoever gets the most toys wins. Yeah? Mm. This is all about taking care of each other instead of me first. Beautiful. So, Robin, you gave us several hints there that I want to pull those threads through and and really allow you an opportunity to expand for our listeners here. And one of those um, was about your tribe, about your culture. And I have to tell you, whenever I get an introduction with different tribes and different nations and things that I can't pronounce, I really out of honor, back out of that and simplify. And yours was one of those that I didn't want to not pronounce your tribe and and the other connections that you had correctly. So why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about your heritage, your background, and really, who is Robin Youngblood? Oh, boy. <laughs> you are... <laughs> Complex answers, don't you? Okay, <laughs> so let's see. I am indigenous to Mother Earth first. Mm. I am a descendant of the Colville Nation. The Colville Nation is 12 confederated tribes, most of whom were traditional enemies, who got stuck on the same reservation by a French lieutenant named Colville. <laughs> I am not Colville. None of us are. We, I am Okanagan Sampoil Nez Pierce on my dad's side, Cherokee on my mom's side. Um, there's a couple of other tribes in there that are probably Cree and um, maybe Ojibwe. We're not sure. Uh, that ancestor came over the Inland Passage. Uh, his name was Ignace or Jacques. Servant. He was given the name Servant because he was an indentured servant to the Hudson Bay Company, and he was a scout for them. He was uh, at least half Indian from Montreal, but we have not been able to trace which tribe that was. So I spent a large share of my life um, learning from all the different native cultures that I could. Anybody who'd let me in. It took three years for me to be accepted by my own tribal people because I was raised as a good little Catholic white girl. My mom was a blonde haired, blue eyed Cherokee. She could pass and she didn't want anybody to know that we were Indian. My dad and I were told to say that we were Italian. 
the one thing that we probably aren't. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as a young adult, well, very young adult, my father convinced my mother to take us back to his tribe. First time I'd ever been there. Okay. And the minute that he took me back, I knew I was home. But the native people didn't know I was home. And it was in the generation when native people were really, really selective about who they would tell anything. And there was a reason for that, because a lot of white people would come in, do one sweat lodge, and then they'd decide that they knew how to do sweat lodges, and they'd go out and do them and kill people. Okay? So I understood, and I knew that I was going to have to chop wood and carry water, and I did that for three years. Until one auntie finally looked at me and said, oh, I know who you are. You look just like Auntie Pauline. Well. I should have. She was my auntie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And from that moment, the doors opened. Um, I also was very privileged and blessed to meet a man called Martin Hyder, who was Lakota Sioux and a medicine man and ran a Four Nation Sundance. One of the very first Four Nation Sundances. There are many now, but Martin was the first. And I danced with him um, and all the other Sundancers at Mount Hood. I eventually went to a Sundance in Canada, which was run by uh, Cree and um, Ojibwe people, and learned different aspects of culture because Our tribes are as unique and individual as the Dutch are to the French, to the Americans, okay? Yeah. Um, And at the same time, because we know we're all related, we can accept each other's teachings and use what fits for each of us and let the rest go. Not a problem, okay? Therefore, I can share teachings, and I always credit them to whatever tribe I learned those teachings from. My very early elders, one of whom was Fred Beaver Chief Jameson, who was Lummi and Duwamish out of Seattle, told me that I was going to be very different than a reservation Indian. As a matter of fact, he kind of forbid me to go live on the res. He said I was too soft and they'd kill me. (laughs) And at that point in time, he was probably right. So he said that because I'm a mix of cultures, I have a little Dutch and a little French too, that I would be someone who could travel the world, learn from indigenous people all over the world, that At some point in time, and we've since discovered he meant 2012, we would need people who could carry a basket of wisdom that included nuggets from each different tribe to bring the teachings back together. 
He told me, and I've heard it since from many other medicine people, that originally there was one tribe, probably in Africa. That tribe eventually overused the land, as humans always do. So they decided that the clans would split into different tribes. Each clan was given a piece of wisdom and a ceremony to hold until the time when all the tribes would be able to come back together. Now, there were tribes in Northern Europe and Hungary and Austria and Lapland, the Sami people, etc., just as much as there were tribes here in the U.S. <clears throat> their tribes were destroyed, or their tribal teachings were destroyed a lot by the Inquisition and the World Wars. When I first started traveling over there, they told me they had no traditions anymore. I didn't believe that. So I went to their trees, their rivers. I went to the ocean and the one mountain they have in Holland, 900 meters, 900 feet, 300 meters. I don't even call it a hill. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, when I went to those places and talked to the ancestors, they all said, we've just been waiting for them to come and ask. All our ceremonies are still here. All our wisdom is still here. It's in the land. It's in the trees. Our ancestors, we haven't gone anywhere. We're just waiting for them. So in sharing what I can bring, I told the people, yeah, I can take you to a sweat lunch, but you had your own form. Yeah, I can do dance to heal the earth with you. And I want to because it's so important for this time. And you have your own dances. Go talk to your ancestors. Go make offerings. They will share with you. And it's the same for those of us in the U.S. who I often hear say, oh, well, we came from Europe. We don't know anything. So we have to take Indian culture. No, you don't. Mm. No, you don't. Find your own ancestors. They will give you what you need. The rituals are pretty much the same. They may have different um, appearances, but the intention is the same among all of us. And if we pay attention, Serge King from Hawaii says, energy flows where attention goes. So if we really pay attention to our intentions and ask our ancestors for the wisdom to provide the ceremony and the ritual that is needed for that intention, it will be provided. So I guess that kind of tells you who I am. (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful. And Robin, the thing that I really appreciate is the visual that you gave us of carrying a basket of wisdom with nuggets from every tribe. That's just an incredible visual. And I can just, I could just see you out in nature carrying that basket and, and really like 
not just collecting the wisdom, but having, um, I just see people offering with reverence and awe to you as you go along the path as well. So you've learned from many different tribes, many different traditions. And I love how you say that the ceremony, the ritual, it's all there. And yeah, this, this wisdom is everywhere. What, um, what do you think is the most important piece for our listeners today, um, whether they're Native people or white people listening or other? Um, there is no other, right? What's the most important lesson for us about that basket, about that collective basket that you're carrying? Um, how can our consciousness help support that and grow that and honor that and cherish it like you do? Oh, boy. <laughs> I love your question. <laughs> um, you started by saying your program here is we are all connected. Yeah. I think that one of the first things that needs to happen among all the people in the world is that we recognize our common grief. I have a song that I've carried for years. It's a Native American song for a fallen warrior. And when I sing that song in public, I ask people to close their eyes and open their hearts. And at the end of the song, there are always people crying. I ask them then to look in their neighbor's eyes and to share that grief between them. Because one of the major things that's happened in modern society, and this is pretty much all over the world, is that we are taught to distract, distract, distract. For God's sake, don't feel grief. For God's sake, don't recognize what we've done to Mother Earth. Go to the store, spend lots of money, play video games, watch TV, go to the movies, have sex, whatever. Do anything, but don't feel that grief. Until we experience our common grief and really take that in and understand the source of that grief, which is what we've done to Mother Earth and all our relatives, we won't change. When we begin to experience this, and I've watched this when I sing this song and do a workshop afterwards, what happens is that people start to forgive themselves and each other to reclaim their power, instead of feeling powerless, like this is all somebody else's fault and they can't do anything about it. And to say, okay, I get it. I really am related to everything. And everything is alive. Everything has the breath of spirit. As the Hawaiians say, aloha, the light and the breath of spirit. Even the stone people have that. So when we really begin to get that in our belly, 
in our cells, when we recognize it in our cellular memory, then it changes everything in our lives. Mm. From that moment forward, we are almost impelled to start to care for and steward Mother Earth and all our relatives. Steward isn't even really the right word, but it's the closest word that we have in English for what we mean when we're talking about being careful, careful with and to every other part of creation. When we recognize that grief, we won't let people mine Mother Earth and destroy her for something as common as gold or selenium or whatever is needed for the next computer chip. We'll find a different way. Yeah? Yeah, Robin, I... um, Go ahead. I am just like... Well, let me just drop this in and and don't lose your thought. But I can't agree with you more. I think that this, the power of the grief does wake us. And just like you said, it's like once we feel that and get that, it's like an awareness. It's a consciousness that then it's like, of course, we would never let these things happen again. What would you say to those who, and most people that are listening today have have been awake to that grief. But what do we say to those who are on the hamster wheel, who are in that rat race, who are tuned into that video game and don't even have a clue? What would you say to those people? In the first place, yes, you're right. We're probably preaching to the choir here today. Um, But I also noticed, you know, I lived on Maui for 16 years, and for 10 of those years, I was a concierge at some of the biggest resorts on Maui, Mm. and I have this beautiful tribal tattoo on my left arm, so I did a briefing for the tourists every morning telling them about all the fun, wonderful things they could do on Maui, and also slipping in a few ecological tidbits and... um, Things like why you don't take rocks from Maui. Mm. (laughs) There's a whole book up on Haleakala with people who sent rocks back because their house caught fire when they got home. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or some other tragedy happened. Yeah. So um, the tourists would come to me to book activities after the briefing and they'd see the tribal tattoo and suddenly they'd start asking questions. And this really started about mm, 2009, after the big financial crash. People suddenly got from that economic uh, chaos that finances weren't going to cure anything. That if that was what they depended on in their life, they were going to be very dissatisfied because it was going to fluctuate and there was no reliability and no safety there. Okay. So they started searching for something else and they started asking me about 
what I knew. And pretty soon it would grow into, oh, why don't you just join me at a drum circle? Why don't you just come to my sweat lodge? Why don't you come to the woman's circle we're having? And they'd start coming. Yeah. Maybe they were only there for a week, but something shifted. And it got more and more. It happened more and more often the closer we got to 2012. You know that movie that came out about the end of the world in 2012? Mm-hmm. Well, that came out in the latter part of 2010. And from that moment on, the tourists would say to me, is this really going to happen? Oh, my goodness. I watched that movie. It terrified me. <laughs> I'd laugh and say, no, that's not what's going to happen. They'd say, well, what is? I'd say, well, you know, it's a shift. When the um, Mayans first started reading their own calendar, because it had been lost, the way to do that, and uh, archaeologists actually broke the codex and taught them how to read their own language again. When they first started reading the calendar, they thought, yes, the world's going to end in 2012. As they got deeper and deeper into it, and believe me, I had Mayans sitting around my kitchen table doing this. They came to understand that, no, it was the end of a cycle of fear, a 26,000-year cycle. And that it was the beginning of another 26,000-year cycle of love. Now, a lot of people thought that December 12, 2012 was a light switch. And it was going to change everything instantly. That isn't what happened. We knew it wasn't going to be what happened. It's the beginning of an arc. What that means is that we have to face all our fears now. Mm. We have to embrace them and love ourselves and each other and forgive ourselves and each other so that we can move into the source of love. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's, so Robin, that's where, go ahead. One more thing. That, that is where we find the source of love. And until we find that, we're really not going to be satisfied with anything. That's why we keep distracting ourselves. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That, that gives us all something deep to really muse on. And the, the one piece that I hear from you, too, in your example, was to just be who you are and continue to offer the different rituals, different offerings, and build it. They will come, right? So we need to take a break. I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're okay. listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We are here with Robin Youngblood, and we're going to speak the second half of this show. We're going to bring you into the codes for a healthy earth with us and muse deeper into this beautiful, sacred relationship that Robin is talking about. And so for right now, we'll take this quick break. Please join us. We'll be right back. Hey, 
everybody, this is Josh Groban. After so many years on the stage, one of my favorite things about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. Every year, billions of pounds of excess food go to waste, while one in five children may be left not knowing where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Thankfully, the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food and helps deliver it to kids in need across the country. But they can't do it alone. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Wildfires burn millions of acres each year. And each year, wildland firefighters like Fire Chief James Hall battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel more than a mile. It can ignite and destroy your home, your community, or more. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. But you can do something firefighters can't. You can act now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. You can reduce the risk. Do your part. Go to fireadapted.org. Get fire adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of up coming guests. Again, that's the drjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. You can get connected in one of my private groups or individual programs. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful world we want to see. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. Today, we are here with Robin Youngblood. You can find out more about Robin's work, her travels, where you can find her. 
where in the world you can find her is churchoftheearth.org. Again, that's churchoftheearth.org. And we're going to move into a conversation about codes for a healthy earth. The codes were initiated, co-initiated by Shelley Ostroff and Jan Golding with Together in Creation. The creation of the document was a collaborative process with leaders from diverse sectors in over 30 countries. You heard that right. Imagine, imagine designing a document and getting incredible participation with that diverse of a population, over 30 countries. The framework can be freely adopted by any group or movement as a collective compass for coordinated citizen-led action toward the healing and regeneration of the planet and all its inhabitants. So go to codes.earth, that's C-O-D-E-S, Earth to learn more and endorse the codes. Robin, welcome back to the second half. Thank you again. That I, I'm still like reveling in that basket of wisdom that you carry. Well, thank you. It, um, it definitely is something that I've reveled in. And, you know, when they said that to me, I was in my late 20s. And that phrase has stuck with me. I'm almost 70 now. So it's stuck with me for 50 years. And in that 50 years, how do I say this? Gateways have opened magically to take me to all these places to learn all these things. Mm. You know, I've, I've circumnavigated the world four times on trust. I don't have any money. <laughs> I can't do this on my own. And it continues to happen time after time after time. Mm. I was in Europe in Holland a few years ago, in 2012, actually. And I got this huge calling to go to South Africa. Why? I couldn't explain it. I had never wanted to go to South Africa. And I was in a wisdom gathering at that moment. And mentioned to the people that I was having this calling to go to South Africa and I didn't know how I was going to get there. (laughs) Within a day, two women came to me and said that they had dreamed they were supposed to go with me and they were going to pay part of my way. And a bunch of other women started circles all around the country and gathered money for me so that I could get there and back. Mm. Beautiful. It's been an incredible journey. (laughs) And, you know, I think that Danny, who was the organizer of that wisdom gathering, uh, gave me a word to carry, and the word is trust. And I guess one of the things that I would say to everyone at this point in time is that there isn't any safety anywhere in the quote-unquote normal world. The only safety is our relationship with the divine and Mother Earth and all our relationships. And the only way to get there from here is by trust. Yeah. Beautiful. Robin, so, so thinking about trust, I when I think of the codes for a healthy Earth and I reflect on your work in the world, your voice and that 
basket of wisdom. It seems like they are such a beautiful, um, more than complementary. <laughs> it's like it's 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 almost like um, a template or a roadmap that definitely um, fits in your basket. It's like this wisdom, um, a synthesis of the wisdom that's in your basket. What moved you most? What struck you most about the Codes for a Healthy Earth? What do you appreciate most? (sighs) Can I say all of it? Because when I read it the first time, of course, I know Shelly. Yeah, and... uh, We've worked together on uh, seven days for a couple of years now. But when I, okay, here's a little story. I met a couple who actually gave me a ride back from a gathering in uh, Illinois to the airport in St. Louis, Missouri. And during this ride, they told me that I told them my story about trust. And they told me that they had a book, and I'll get it for you so that I know exactly what the title is. It's called The Trust Frequency. It's by Andrew Cameron Bailey and Connie Baxter Marlowe. The Trust Frequency is the beginning of Codes of Sacred Earth. When we had that discussion, On the way back to St. Louis, I I was like, wow, what is going on here? There's some kind of movement happening in the universe that is coalescing right now. And then when I read Shelley's codes, it's not just Shelley, Shelley and Jan and (laughs) I'm sure thousands of other people around the earth, maybe millions, (laughs) have... um, coalesce into this marvelous time when we can actually put these codes into a language we can all understand and move forward. And moving forward is imperative right now. It's either moving forward or we're going to self-destruct. And we're doing a pretty darn good job of the self-destruction. One of the things that people don't seem to get is that we're always creating. We're either creating destruction or we're creating beauty. Mm. There's no um, middle ground. Yeah. You can say, oh, I'm going to sit this one out on the couch. Well, that's a decision and a choice. And it has an effect and a consequence. If you're not for it, you're against it. It's that simple. So when I read the codes, I immediately, they're how I live my life, all of them, okay? But they are codified in such a way and explained in such a way that anybody can grasp it. And I really think that a lot of people are going to grasp it because it is written in language that is so understandable. You really can't ignore it. Yeah. The one thing that I appreciate more than anything is literally how it does 
move beyond boundaries, um, ideological systems, nations, cultures. It's like it is so universal in how it's written. And, and like you, um, I haven't met anyone that that hasn't just got behind it and said, yes, or this is how I live. How, in what ways do you see the codes supporting you and your work moving forward? Well, I think they're going to be a part of my work in that the way that they're languaged will allow me to bring subject matters up in the workshops and the trainings that I do and so forth, the ceremonies even. And um, give points from what I'm able to share and carry um, that will help people. It will provide them with a sense of direction according to their own passions and life purpose. I'm not here, none of us is here to force anybody to do anything. Yeah? Uh, We've had enough of that, all of us. Mm -hmm. So what I am here for is to encourage people to find out who they really are, really understand why they came here, what their passions are, what their life purpose is, and how they can move forward to fulfill it in an entirely authentic way. We, we've done enough pretending to fit mom and dad's idea of what we're supposed to be or the school's idea or the boss's idea or whatever. We just can't do that anymore. It feels awful. And people come to me all the time and tell me, I don't know who I am. I don't have a clue. Hmm. I really uh, don't know how what my purpose is, so how can I fulfill anything? And I know that's why I'm dissatisfied. I know that's why I hurt all the time, but I don't know how to get from here to there. Yeah? The codes will help us get from here to there. Mm-hmm. You know what else, Robin? It seems like right before break when we were talking about moving from the um, the era of fear into the era of love or the um, the $26,000 year, I said $26,000, the 26 year, thousand year cycles. And it, you know, when I asked you, what do you say to those that aren't even aware of their grief. This feels like not so much just a healing balm for the fear and the grief, but it feels like, just like you said, it's like this roadmap. It's, it's, it's direction, it's vision, it's, it's a unifying principle that can take us from that place of grief and fear and really move us forward on a new trajectory of love. Can you expand on that idea? Well, the first thing I want to say is I want to make very clear to people that experiencing and connecting with our grief does not mean feeling guilty 
and ashamed. Mm. Guilt and shame are absolutely useless. The only way that they serve a purpose ever is if it impels us to do something different. Otherwise, it's just something to wallow in, and that doesn't do anything for any of us. So experiencing grief, if we feel shame or guilt, we can recognize that as something that's been inculcated in us by the society. Okay? If we can recognize that and let go of the grief and the shame, that clears our pathway. And that's why I say that we have to go from grief to forgiveness of self first and everybody and everything else because our societies have taught us the wrong thing. Okay? Mm. And then we can look at the codes. And when we look at the codes, they are specific. So one or more of those codes is going to ring our chimes. Inside us, the heart is going to say, that's mine. Yeah. I really, that's the one that I'm responsible for. That's the one that I have to fulfill in my own life, whether anybody else does or not. When you say that, Robin, yeah, go yeah. go ahead. But I, when you say that, I'm thinking of those people that you were saying they they don't know what's theirs to do. It's like read the codes, and and it's going to resonate. There's going to be your path will resonate and merge off of that um, computer screen or the paper if if you're reading the codes. Can't you just see those who are lost, like turned on and ignited by that? Absolutely. You know. Um... I made an interesting discovery. Sometimes I get information that's direct. It's not traditional, okay? Or maybe it's pre-traditional. Let's put it that way. Um, I was working with a young lady in France uh, a couple of years ago who had no idea what she was supposed to do and was trying to decide between two jobs, neither of which she really was thrilled about. Okay, but she couldn't figure out what else to do. So I asked her (laughs) in a moment of guidance, asked her to name four or five of her passions. Okay, well, she loves to ride bikes uh, in a touring situation with other people. And when she was doing this, she always wanted to sing and laugh and joke and make people happy. She was currently a barista, and when uh, people came to her for coffee, she would joke with them to lighten their mood. Um, When she, uh, oh, she loved to go to a song and dance celebration, and it just totally fulfilled her, and part of the reason it fulfilled her is because she was with a social group that she could interact with in joy. Okay, so she got through all these things. And I said, so what's the common denominator among all of them? I like to experience joy and give joy to others. I said, wow, that's your life passion and purpose, darling. You can do that in any job. Mm. Okay. So, all right, you pick up the codes. You start reading through them. 
one of them says, oh, my God, that's that's my passion. I have to do that. Another one says, oh, yeah. Well, you find the common denominators. When you find the common denominators and reduce them down to one sentence, you've got your life purpose. You can do it anywhere, anytime. Guaranteed. It's almost as if by adopting the codes for a healthy earth, um, all of our listeners will pick up their own basket to carry forward with the different wisdoms, uh, you know, not just traditions, but literally learning from whether they're a steward of the water or the air or the, you know, the animals or it could be anything, but it just feels like the codes give everyone an opportunity to pick up a basket of wisdom and carry it forward and steward that into a fuller potential. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, when you were talking earlier about how you see me with the basket, what I was thinking of is nuggets is good, but my analogy would be seeds. Mm. I'm carrying a basket full of seeds and I just throw the seeds out wherever they go. And they either germinate or they don't. In most cases, they, they go to wonderful prepared soil that's ready for them and it takes root right now. In some cases, it goes to soil that wants to be prepared. It has been waiting for it, didn't know how to do it. Somebody comes along with the codes and gives them the codes. Okay, well, then they can prepare the soil and the seeds can grow. Beautiful. it falls where it's not going to be useful. That's okay, too. Part of the job is to accept everything and everyone exactly where they are without judgment. And believe me, that's hard. Yeah, that one's tricky. That one's tricky for us. So, Robin, we have about five minutes left. And in like three minutes or so, I'd I'd love to hear if you have any insight or wisdom of how we can support the codes collectively. How do we help realize the full potential in supporting whole systems change and transformation and healing on our planet perhaps using these codes, how do we move forward from the collective wisdom that you hold in your basket and now the codes here? What can we do? Okay. Did you see what Shelly was doing with I speak for in seven days of rest? Yeah. And the I speak for meditation that I did. I think that the way that we can do this collectively, first of all, one of the things I came to understand from Barbara and the co-creation model. For me, it's a, another layer of the medicine wheel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the co-creation model, there are all these segments that are things that need to be done to support the central vision. Right. And they attract certain people who have either those skills or the desire to learn those skills. Um, As a collective, we automatically attract to us 
what we believe in. If we really, really let these codes sink into our hearts, there's no choice but to believe them because they're truth. Yeah? Mm-hmm. They aren't um, malleable. They just are the way it really is. So if we all accept that, then we are going to come together in groups one way or another, maybe through social media, maybe through meeting each other, however that happens, to take on the pieces that we can do together. And one of the ways that we can do that is through conscious worldwide meditation. When we meditate together, we find our own peace. I've had lots of comments from the people who have followed the I Speak For meditation that I did. And several of them were connecting directly with Gaia, Mother Earth herself, and what she needs. And it's amazing how similar what they saw and experienced during that meditation was. The ones who connected with different animal species and the trees and so forth also were extremely similar in what they saw, heard, and experienced. Mm. So when we do these meditations together, even though, you know, Sister Amelia is in Australia and I'm here and you're in Michigan or wherever you are. (laughs) I don't know that right now. (laughs) Um, If we receive information about a specific thing that we're supposed to work together on, we're going to have a really similar experience and really similar guidance about what that is. Yeah. And we'll find each other from there. Beautiful. Beautiful. And so just us remembering that to stay open and to to receive, like keep our baskets out there so that we can all work together moving forward here. Robin, this was really delightful. I really appreciate hearing your wisdom and um, your stories here and, and really sincerely appreciate you being a champion for the Codes for a Healthy Earth. Well, thank you. And I feel the same way about you, Julie. The work that you've done with your program here over the years has been exquisite. Mm. And I know that it's influenced and changed many people's lives. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Robin. And speaking of those listeners, I want to leave you with a quote from Bruce Lipton. He said, through consciousness, our minds have the power to change our planet and ourselves. It is time we heed the wisdom of the ancient indigenous people and channel our consciousness and spirit to tend the garden and not destroy it. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.